Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I want to welcome everyone. If you are new, we are so glad you found us. Everyone else, welcome back. You know, whenever I start my shows, I just have to share something before the guest comes on because I'm just, I've just got so much to tell you. So today I'm going to talk about a new word that you need to work into your vocabulary when we're talking about screens. And um, this just came to me about a week ago. Of course, these things come to me all the time, but it just, I, I think I've thought about this before is what I mean. But um, about a week ago, I was with a big group of teenagers and they were all like every group of teenagers, you know, they were all on their devices, not looking at each other. And I'm all of a sudden getting this epiphany. I'm going to tell you what the new word is here in just a second. But you know how many times we make the comments about using screens as a babysitter. This is very common. We, we, as parents, we're guilty of this. We're like, Oh, we got to give them a babysitter because we have to get our work done. We have to if you have toddlers, you just want to go get your mail in you know, the front of your yard. <laughs> you have to have something to keep them busy while we do that. And when our kids are little, you know, we do need a, a babysitter. Of course, it shouldn't be a screen, but we do use screens as a babysitter. And we're all guilty of this, um, of using these babysitters all the way through middle school and even high school. We refer to the screens as babysitters. And, you know, they work really well. Uh, it's really cheap. And, um, you know, as parents, we tend to do things that work and it seems to work. But today I want you to start thinking of these screen devices and what we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the kind of toxic use. I'm not talking about sitting down and watching a baseball game with your, your kids or having them do an Excel spreadsheet. I'm talking about screen devices. So I want you to start thinking about screen devices as, drum roll please, a pacifier. It is a pacifier for our kids. It soothes them, it calms them. So we think, I mean, it looks like it does on the outside, but there is a big problem. It's kind of cute when they're little, but as they grow up and they get through middle school and high school, pacifiers aren't good. And when I was in this big group of teenagers, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a pacifier. Like they can't, they can't do anything without it. And so there's two problems. Kids grow dependent on pacifiers. I mean, you know, when you have a toddler, it's really hard to take it away. That's why some parents say, don't even give it to them to begin with, because it's so hard to take the pacifier away. But our teens are growing dependent on their screens. And the longer they're on their screen pacifier, the harder it is to remove it. And that's the second point. That's why you have to be very, very mindful and very diligent around the issue of putting the wrong kinds of screens in our kids' hands. And, you know, honestly, if you had a five-year-old who still had a pacifier wagging around, you know, it would be really tacky, right? I'm sure some of y'all have seen older kids with pacifiers. It's like, no, what's wrong with that mom and dad? Why are they allowing this? But this is kind of what it is with screens in our teenagers. So I want you to think about that the next time your teenager grabs that phone. I mean, honestly, you know, it's not cute anymore. You know, no kid should have a pacifier, a pacifier for 24 hours a day either. You know, when our toddlers were growing up and our guest today is going to really talk about these early years. And that's why I'm so excited. And, and this thought just popped in my head this morning. I'm like, I've just got to talk to y'all about this pacifier word. So I want us to be using the word pacifier. Might make your kids mad if you have a 15-year-old and you say, uh, give me your pacifier. I mean, I don't know. That might make them mad. But anyway, it is what it is. They're depending on it for all the wrong reasons. So today our guest is Mary Mullikin, and she is a healthy screen habits coach for families. And she's writing a book entitled Supercharged, 50 Reasons to Raise Kids Screen Free from Birth to Age 7. I am so excited to hear her perspective and all of the findings and the research and just all the information she has to share. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Good. What did you what do you think about the pacifier word? I love <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I love your story. Um, and I was thinking about, I mean, I, I do think about it as a pacifier and a babysitter. I also think about it as a drug. 
Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, it's it's a pacifier laced with, uh, you know, a drug. (laughs) um, But I love that you use that word pacifier because I think a lot of what I think about um, when I think about the choice we're making when we're putting our kids' faces in front of screens is that we're, you know, we're often trying to help them not have a feeling that they're having or trying to, as parents, not have a feeling that we're having. So we pacify it. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of what we do with actual pacifiers with toddlers is we're kind of shoving it in their mouth to quiet it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's magic, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It works. It's really a magical thing that works. However, we all know in our gut feeling that this eh, isn't the best thing for them. But right. I know, I know, I know we talk about babysitters a lot and I know with you coming on today, I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about little kids. And I just, I'm, I'm just busting to share this new pacifier word, even though it's not an old word, (laughs) but I, I just thought it just hit me. Yeah. We keep talking about this as a babysitter, but really it's a pacifier. And as your kids get older, when are they ever going to learn to deal with real life and peers and adults and making eye contact and downtime and being awkward. You know, we got to take the pacifier away from them. They're they're not going to learn. And I love what you're doing. Explain why you're so passionate. First of all, I want you to explain why, like what happened to you? Why are you this parent that somehow understood early that this was going to be a problem? Well, I was, I've been thinking that, about that a lot lately. You know, I think what happened a couple of years before we had our first child, which was 10 and a half years ago, we were out to dinner one night with some friends who had had their, you know, who'd had a baby who was about, I want to say he was about one and they brought him along to dinner and they also brought along a TV for him to watch. Wait, 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 back up, back up. They brought a TV like, or a, yeah, you, yeah, you know, those, those little TVs that people bring to restaurants. And oh yeah. Got it. Table. Yeah. I was just wondering if they were like carrying in like a huge, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> 10 years ago, what kind of TVs do we have? Yes. No, I know what you're, I know what you mean. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so I remember kind of snuggling into the booth with this couple and their baby and being really excited to see him. And they immediately put him in front of the screen and it lasted the entire meal oh, until no. we said goodbye. Oh, and I, I mean, I just, I was, you know, I was young in the world. I had, didn't have any other friends who were having kids yet. So I was just shocked by it. Like, <laughs> kind of like, why did you bring him yeah. if that's what you were going to do? And yeah. like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Right. There's He's missing out on so much. We're missing out on so much. There's so much learning that could be happening here. I mean, so much of it was just an instinctive response. And I am so grateful that it happened because I think it just lit a fire in my brain. Yeah. Like, I wasn't even quite thinking about having kids yet or what our timing would be. But I definitely saw what happened and was and thought to myself, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Like, if that's not bringing the TVs. The, <laughs> if that's the way the world is moving, we're going to move in a really different direction. So, oh. I think that's what started it. Wow. So, what happened? Then you started having your children. Well, then I think we, you know, we talked a lot about that and got pregnant with our first child and talked a lot about, you know, like all parents do, you know, what kind of carrier are we going to buy? Are we going to breastfeed? All the things that you talk about. And, I said, I really want to be screen free. I want our kids to be screen free. You know, I see the direction that the world is moving in and I just want them to have real life. Mm -hmm. I want them to have real life. I'm not, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's a countercultural choice to make, but that I just want to, let's have our baseline be none and Mm -hmm. go from there. Mm -hmm. And so we started it and I found that it just wasn't that hard. And, and what I found along the way, we, you know, we went on and had two more kids and we met other families who were doing the same thing. So we had, you know, we were able to build some community around it. And I just found that having none as the baseline was actually easier than having some, you know, we yeah. weren't trying to do the like, oh, let's let them watch an hour of TV a day. Well, now it's something you have to manage. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's just totally take it out of the equation it's just not in the rotation of things that we're doing. It's not mm-hmm. an option. 
you know? And as a result, I, I, you know, truthfully, I don't know it any other way. It's how we've done it from the beginning. So I don't, um, you know, it's just one less thing to manage. I'm not managing. I manage other things. I manage their sugar intake. I manage their, you know, it's that we still have our share of issues that we work on, but we don't have that one. Yeah. And And so just just right off the bat here, tell us just what are the the benefits? I mean, what do you see right away from your perspective of raising young kids, 10 and under, you have three that are 10 and under Yeah. without having to manage that? I want to talk, I want to hear from you what the, the benefits are. And then I, I, I want to also hear what you think you're missing out on, which, you know, probably not much, but <laughs> <laughs> what are the benefits? <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, I feel like the benefits are, I mean, there's, there's hundreds, mm-hmm. you know, the biggies I would say are kind of the things that you think about. Their imaginations are wild. You know, mm-hmm. they're not, Halloween rolls along and they're not thinking I'm going to be Elsa or I'm going to be Daniel Tiger or I'm going to be Spider-Man. They don't even really know who those people are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm embarrassing myself because I don't know very much, very much kids. Media. You did good. You did good. That's okay. What's popular, but, um, <laughs> but their imaginations are huge. So what that looks like is they have fun wherever we are. They are mm. constantly creating their own play. If we go, mm. you know, if we're sitting outside in the dirt they're pretty happy for a couple of hours yeah. with maybe yeah. still, I mean, my, t- my 10 year old goes nowhere without a rope and a book <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> and he finds endless things to do with his rope. Yeah, I mean, it's just mind boggling, you know, so it's just kind of, they're able to create fun wherever they are. They're mm-hmm. not reliant on, you know, I think their imaginations have just, grown really wildly. So I would say that one is really huge. And that kind of goes along with the like, never bored. They're never bored. Never. Um, But there's some other ones too. You know, I feel like they are creators instead of consumers. Mm -hmm. And that's a biggie for me with like the whole kind of really reducing screen time for early childhood is that I think a lot of screen media kind of turns kids into consumers. It's like, they're watching their show. They get hooked on whatever show it is. And then they want that Halloween costume and they want that birthday party stuff and they mm-hmm. want that pajamas. And it's like, it's shopping. Yeah. You know, they're shoppers. And I think <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead we're, you know, we're trying to raise creators, you know, kids yeah. who make, make their own holiday or Halloween costumes or make their own gifts that they give it holidays. You know, it's just, it's less about buying and consuming. So I would say those three are kind of biggies. So when you say you want them to be creators instead of consumers, I love that. That That's just a wonderful way to sum, sum that up. And I think it even goes a step further from not just consuming things and products, but ideas. And as they get older, you know, when they're on screens and they're on social media and even in video games and the social chat rooms and all that kind of stuff, they start figuring out their identity and and they start consuming other people's ideas. And you don't want them to do that. You want your kids to create their identity based off your values, based off your family connection. And when that screen outlet is in front of them, just like when they're little and you know, Saturday morning cartoons, right? That's what they were known for, you know, advertising every cereal and every toy that every kid had to have. So they start that consuming mindset then. But I also think as they get older and you have a 10 year old, so you're not, you're just entering into this stage of um, a little bit of the shift where the consuming takes on just a whole nother level. You, you know what I mean? They just start not thinking for themselves if that makes sense. And they're just consuming crazy stuff that you don't want them to consume. I know. I mean, I know and I don't know. Like I'm not there yet, but that's my sense about what's happening. And I see, you know, I see it in the families that I help and I see it in older kids that I know. But I'm so glad that you said that because the two other things came to mind about the benefits when you were talking about idea consumption. One of them 
is role models. Mm. And I think role models are so important. Yes. And I think my problem with role models that you that you see on a screen is well, for one thing they're not real. Right. You know, for another thing, no matter who it is, you're seeing a superhero version of that role model. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you're not seeing the whole person. Not that they're not fabulous. You know, mm-hmm. Serena Williams I'm sure is fabulous, but you're still seeing a, a superhero version of her. It's yes. not real. And third, it's not, it's, it doesn't go both ways. It's like, you're, you know, your child might just love whoever it is on the screen, but that person doesn't know your child. It doesn't go both ways. Right. I think what we really want is for the role models to be their grandparents their mm-hmm. parents, their older siblings, their neighbors, their teachers, their coaches, people who actually know them. Yeah. That is such a great point. Um, and, and as your kids get older, that village expands a little bit and you allow the role models and the adults into their world that you want to influence them. And it's all about influence. So, and that's what you're talking about. Um, the, I love what, what you just said about it doesn't go both ways. So, I'm really, really big into this whole concept of communication and teaching kids how to have a conversation. And of course, when they're on social media, they're they're not having a conversation. It's a one way thing. They're like you said, consuming. It's a really good word to use for that. But when you're having a real conversation, there is a natural volley that goes back and forth. So if you think about watching a tennis match, Every time you have a conversation with your kid, I want you to think about having a tennis match and that ball going from this side to this side, back and forth, back and forth as a parent and um, as the adult influencer in your kid's life. This is how you teach them. This is how you communicate. This is how you build relationships. It's not about, you know, a one way communication. You have to go back and forth. I've gotten much more mindful, I guess, is the word about this with my kids when I learned this and the real deep kind of inner layers of how to build conversation skills in kids where you, you wait for the volley to come back to you in the conversation. And so as you practice this and teach this, and even with your kids, the age they are, I'm sure this is naturally happening in your house because you don't have the screen distractions to interrupt every conversation that starts to happen. You can actually have the tennis match, (laughs) you know, you can have the back and forth and back and forth where you wait for the answer and then they answer. And sometimes the other person, you know, has to think a second and think, Hmm, yeah, what am I going to say to that? And then you're, you're patiently waiting and being gracious in conversation. And that is what makes our kids good conversationalists. This is what makes them very successful ultimately in life when they can go into a room, talk to an adult or talk to uh, another teenager and really understand the art of conversation. So I don't know how we got talking about that, but that that was a really <laughs> good point that you brought up that one way, that one way conversations don't work. I love what you're saying about the back and forth too. I mean, I my lived experience of that is is you know, that it's like, it is when I'm playing catch with, you know, with a baseball and two mitts with my child that we're having the best conversation, I think, because we're modeling it with the ball. I mean, it literally is, we're back and forth. There's a, this is pretty equal. No one's giving, no one's lecturing here. Right. (laughs) We're just, you know, we're, we're responding. It's great communication building skills. So these, these, this is all, this is so good. So their imagination is better. They, um, you want them to be creators and not consumers. You are actually seeing benefits around the type of role models, which we know about brain development. We know that the types of things that kids are exposed to when they're young really have an impact on them much more so even than things that we are exposed to, you know, as adults. When you were talking about imagination, let's talk a minute about um, the, what you said, I love what you said, that they create their own play. This idea of free play, ha- have you studied much about that or what do you know about free play and how important that is? What I know is that it just, it is so important for the, for what they're playing with to be directed by them. 
Yes. So, you know, I don't like, I always say this, I don't like any toy where the toy itself is having more fun than the child. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, which is totally true of screens, but it's like, it's also true of a lot of electronic toys. I mean, it's like, if you just kind of clear the space in your life and make, it's not just, it's not just kind of reducing the screens or getting rid of the screens. It's kind of like just getting rid of the noise. Toys that that provoke open-ended play are easy in the zero to seven crowd. I mean, Mm. there are so many sand, water, blocks, art supplies, Mm. you know, I mean, you just can go on and on and on. It gets a little bit harder as they get older, Yes, but it's like, it's that thing. It is so important for their brain development, for them to, to play with things that where what you do with the toy is up to you. It's not up to the toy. And that's, see, with video games, a lot of people haven't thought about it. I certainly didn't think about it when I was, um, you know, in my early parenting days that my kids weren't being creative on that video game. The video game designer maybe was creative at some point and had his imagination going. But but the kids are just responding to someone else's algorithm and they're actually just doing exactly what someone else is telling them to do. And that's why free play, what Mary's talking about is so critical. It is the basis of everything else that you do literally in your life from your job one day to solving problems, to having relationships, having conversations, working out conflicts, all that happens in free play with kids. It's a safe environment. It's a safe way for them to learn how to do life. And when we put them in front of a computer, it's not play. In fact, there's a book named, the name of it is Play by Stuart Brown. And he has a whole chapter in that book on the dark side of play, which is of course about video games and screenplay. And I learned so much from that that book. And you, you're just touching on this benefit. And I just want to, you know, congratulate you for figuring this out early. (laughs) because A lot of people don't. And it's, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But it's just, it's just the fact when you can fill your kids with opportunities for free play, it's the gift that will give the rest of their lifetime. And I and I love when you said that your son you know, he likes to go anywhere with a, a book and a rope. That is hysterical. I just think the rope is just, oh my gosh, absolutely. I totally know what you mean. <laughs> I totally get it. I have three boys and um, we we actually would go places with books and rocks. Um, rocks were very important. It's, it's different points of their life. But talk about reading. Talk about reading for a minute. Do your kids like to read? I mean, isn't it weird for kids to like to read? What are your thoughts oh, on that? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I I mean, my oldest son reads about 15 thick novels a month. Oh, my goodness. He's an extraordinary reader. Yeah. My seven-year-old is hot on his heels. Oh, wow. Now, I, I think, I, I mean, I think it is, you know, a, a big piece of it is maybe luck. But I think a lot of it is not having, you know, not having screens in the home. One of the things I love about it is about about choosing the screen free way for them is it really amplifies other media sources. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to see, you know, kids need stories. So they're going to seek out those stories and books. Yes. They're also, you know, it, they really hear music. They really they really dig into making art. You know, yeah. they really will listen to a podcast or an audiobook yes. for hours at a time. So it's right. like, I, th- I think it has this huge effect on their senses and their ability, you know, their attention span Yeah. in a way that, I mean, we know that from all the research that, that, you know, one of the big downsides of, of screen use for young kids is what it does to their attention span. So I think, you know, the fact that my oldest son is such a book lover, I think could have been luck, but I think the way that they just grab, you know, they're going to get their stories and they know that that's how they've got to get up in this house. Well, let me just tell you, it's not luck. Okay. I I know (laughs) you're being gracious um, to say that. Um, It's really not luck. It is what, what you do, what you offer, how you structure all that is very intentional on your end. And by taking 
or pausing the screen interactions for now, you you just explained it really well that their tank is being filled this other way. And I've noticed the same thing when we decided to become a game-free home. We have lots of other games, but as far as video games, we are a game-free home. I made that decision. Um, we also have a porn-free home, and I make that announcement now to my teenagers, and we talk about that a lot too. So so on a side note here, sometimes you have to get real intentional about your words and about making <laughs> these decisions. But um, when you decide to do that, you're exactly right. Their other senses start to get sharp and This all centers around the development of executive function skills. And these skills are very difficult to develop with screens. It's very difficult to develop on a screen, your impulse control, your patience, your planning ahead, all that's very difficult. But it's also very difficult because screens interrupt the process of executive function development. And so in your home where you have other things to pick up like books, and probably board games and clay and Rubik's cubes, they're going to get better at those things. They're, they're basically going to get better at the things that you put on their plate. Now, if your kids are, um, if they do have a gene or a special gift for sports, for example, reading is another example, I guess, you know, they could have that ability and they could have that gift, but if you don't develop it, they'll be just like every other kid who struggles. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's luck. I think that it's a very intentional part on on your end and your husband's as y'all work this through your house. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about this choice that we've made, and I'm not saying that it's easy all the time, sure. you know, but it's like, is that is that there is kind of a respect for spacious spaciousness, So it's just, I am not afraid of them having nothing to do. Right. Quite on, quite on the contrary. And I think we need so much more of that in our culture. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is okay for your child to sit in the stroller and gaze. Mm -hmm. It is more than okay. Right. You know, it, they need to just lose themselves in their own life. Yeah. And, you know, when quarantine happened, um, I remember this so vividly uh, that week when everything was announced and the school, you know, was closing and we're doing the virtual whatever. So many parents were panicked because they're like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do with my kids. And in our house, there was such a different reaction. I felt like we you know, had died and gone to heaven and we're on vacation. I started making desserts every night. I'm like, whoa, 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 I got to stop that. I, I didn't mean to do that. But what I mean is the the gift of that time, I felt like we had won, you know, the time lottery because now they had time, they had more time outside, more time to go fishing. They had more time to get on their longboard. They had more time to ride their bikes. It all got interpreted differently for us. We are very much not afraid of downtime. We love downtime. (laughs) And I think that fear of downtime is what drives parents to quickly pacify their kids. I I think that's what I, I did early in the early days. And I think the fear is very real and it's very, very harmful. And over the long term, trying to undo the lack of productive downtime, which sounds kind of funny, but that, that is a thing. Um, it's very <laughs> difficult to go, to go back at the age of 12, you know, or your 10 year old right now. Can you imagine trying to now start teaching how to do this? It, it's, it would be very difficult. We had a similar reaction in our house. Um, <laughs> and it was interesting that, you know, when the quarantine started and it was interesting how it's, it felt like our culture really responded at large with like, how are you entertaining yourselves? How are you yeah. occupying yourselves? And I'm thinking to myself, well, the same way we always have. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I'm glad that you brought that up about time um, because I, it is another huge benefit is that, you know, I feel like we have time for everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, my kids come home and they'll say, oh, well, so-and-so gets an hour of screen time a day. 
And I truthfully, I don't know how they have an hour of screen time a day. I don't right. know how families feel like they have time for that. <laughs> I know. How do you do that? I mean, we already kind of, you know, we're working it to get in your chores and your piano right. practice and your homework and right. your exercise and your enough sleep. It's like, how do you have an extra hour? We don't have an extra hour. I don't know, because every extra hour on a screen that you're taking out of those things you just mentioned. Right. And which ones are you willing to sacrifice? Right. You know, more sleep usually when they get to be older, uh, and more time with piano for sure. You know, practicing baseball in the backyard, all those things go away because the screen is so much more dopamine producing, I guess. And they're they're going to choose that. It just everybody talks. You know, when you're in when you're in the depths of parenting, you know, it's like that old thing: the days feel long and the years feel short. It's not. It, you know, childhood, the eighteen years that we have them. It's not very long No, for all the things that they need to learn and to do. Right. You know, and every parent says that at the end. They're like, oh, enjoy it now. It goes so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, you know, sometimes the days don't go so fast, but the years go fast. And it's like, I want their childhood to count. And I yeah. think, I think those hours in front of the screen, they just don't count for much. They don't count. No, they don't. And I, I, I we don't even try to even debate this anymore. It's, it's lost time. It, it's not downtime. It's certainly not productive time. It's not story time. <laughs> it's lost time. And when you talk about childhood going by fast, and I know that younger moms sometimes listen to more seasoned moms like myself and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. And they kind of roll their eye. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I hate to tell you, but you are responsible for the flavor, if you will, of your kid's childhood. And if they don't have the stories woven in to their early years, it's going to be tough down the road because you depend on those stories. And we, you just talked about stories a few minutes ago when we were talking about, when we were talking about reading, but I'm going to take it a step further and talk about stories that are created during offline time. And the, this is the time when they're playing out in the backyard and they, they find a bird's egg and then they have to come in and then they have to figure out what to do with it. And then, or maybe they find a nest and then they figure out how to sort of take care of that. And, you know, all the things and all the stories that childhood is supposed to consist of are fading in our culture. And as the mom and the coach and the dad of your team there, your family, it really is your job to structure this tapestry to make sure their tapestry is really colorful and it's impossible to do on a screen. It's not that all screen time is bad, but you have to realize that you're trading, that it's a big trade, that for every hour they're on Minecraft, they're not in the backyard finding a bird's nest, right? So right. these stories are what bind your kids to your family. And down the road, these are the stories that they're going to need to hang on to when life gets rough. And it sounds like y'all have a lot of stories. <laughs> I'd love to just hear about all your stories. Cause I know when you don't have screens, you have stories instead. <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, I was just writing, I was working on my book yesterday and I was just writing about this very piece about what you're calling them stories. I was calling them memories. Memories. Same thing. The same thing. Same thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, I read a statistic recently that was something staggering. I'm terrible at remembering statistics, but it was something like, 80% of our memories as human beings are when we are outside. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Doesn't surprise and me I, at all. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, that is exactly it. I think I want them to have memories. You, you know, of course, we all have our top 10 favorite movies that we love. And it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with having your favorite movies. But do mm -hmm. you, but how much time of your child's childhood mm -hmm. are you going to, let be memoryless. That's you know, right. They're not going to remember doing that. They're not going to remember playing Minecraft for hours and hours and hours. They're not going to in five years say, oh, mom, remember that day when I got to X level on Minecraft and I did this and whatever? No, they're not even going to remember. It. And of course, why would you remember something like that? The reason why you remember outdoors, like that statistic doesn't surprise me at all, is because there are so many positive stimulations. When you go outside, you've got the sounds, the smells, the heat, temperature, 
or cold, either one, you have all these things that are stimulating all of your senses. And so when things happen outside, you're going to remember that more. That just makes perfect biological sense. But when you're on a screen, you're very lonely, you're isolated. You may have a friend on the other line, but they're not in the room with you. They're not discovering things with you in person. It's a completely different experience. And so that's why the memory bank is really empty for kids and um, that are gamers and screen users and all that, overusing all that. They have very few stories. Very few things really happen to them in their childhood. I, I know now our kids are 16 and probably half of the funny conversations we have are about things that happened to them when they were little. I mean, think about it. That That's what we laugh about now. And humor right. is a wonderful thing when you have teenagers, by the way, <laughs> write that down somewhere <laughs> for you to pull out and remember, <laughs> just remember humor, humor. Let's see how we can uh, turn this into a humorous situation. <laughs> and it's traditions, right? That build these memories. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, I know no prep here, ask you, what are some traditions that you do in your house? Well, we, our family takes a family hike every single Sunday. That is like our church in the morning. We go every single Sunday morning as a family. You know, they push and shove about it sometimes. It's, it's wonderful. It's time in nature. It's time together. There is zero pressure about what we talk about. We always see something cool. It's definitely my favorite. They, you know, they sometimes, you know, want to lay around, read their books, and I get them out anyway. Um, you mean, time. mom, you make them put their book down for crying out loud. <laughs> That's one. Let's see. Oh, gosh, we're just such a ritual family, and I'm drawing a blank. That's okay. I put you on the spot. But no, that's a really good one. That That is um, also like just a family walk after dinner could work, yeah. or even there's just maybe one day, one night a week where you do that, or maybe you take a family bike ride. There's all these... I mean, this endless, really, the amount of rituals and traditions. If you think of another one, you can butt in. Well, wait, I, I did think of another one. You did think did of think another of one. one. So on our birthday, there's five of us on our birthdays and on Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know, the person being celebrated um, gets to design their whole day. And we just enact that day. You know, we do it. So they're choosing the meals. They're choosing the activities. And one of the things that really stands out to me, and I do think this is a direct result of being screen-free family, is usually what people pick is not that different than what we usually do. Huh. The interesting. Yeah. It's like there's usually a few, a little bit more ice cream thrown in and yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like usually like, well, we're going to play a game of family baseball or, you know, whatever it is. It's like together time. So that's a, that's a cherished ritual. I'm glad I get two. I get my birthday and Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. You do get two. You deserve probably five. But anyway, um, you know, moms, but, um, you know, and if you are wondering, out there, you're listening and you're just thinking, how do I get this started? Because I haven't done this really yet. First of all, you do have rituals and traditions in your home. Maybe you haven't really purposely thought about them, but um, think about being more mindful about some of them. And then the second thing is um, just ask your kids tonight at dinner, get a piece of paper out and have everybody write down the favorite things that they like to do um, in your family. And we call it the list of 15 things at Screen Strong. And when you go through the challenge, we talk about that and how, you know, have your kids mindfully sit down, write down what are 15 things that they love about their family. And then you take that list. Hopefully they can come up with at least one thing. I mean, sometimes it's a struggle, but then you, you look at that and you, and you do more of those things that make them feel loved and things that make them feel that they, you know, things they like about the family. So just want to put a plug in for, um, for this concept of traditions and how they may seem silly right now when your kids are little, but it's, it forms the, the glue and the bond in your relationship as they get older. It's very critical for them to look back and have that glue because it gets harder. Think, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's not, not that life was always bad when they get older, but it just gets harder. It gets harder to do these traditions and to get this bond going as they mature and get older and get into other things and, of course, more activities and all that. 
Well, I, lo- I love your 15 things. And I want to say that what I notice about the development of rituals and traditions in our family is that a lot of times there's pushback at first, you know, or maybe it's not everybody's favorite thing. You know, I That's always right. make everybody, everybody stand around on Christmas Eve and sing a couple of Christmas carols. Well, right. truthfully, I'm the only one that loves to sing. Right, right. But they right. do it. And, you know, it's not their number one favorite, but then sure enough, the following Christmas Eve, I've got three kids saying, well, what about the Christmas Carol singing? Yeah. yeah. It's like. Because <laughs> don't you see that they're, they're kind of, they need that. That's part of their foundation. They need the ritual. The ritual is so important. But getting on a screen is not the same thing. Working a jigsaw puzzle in the den is very enriching when it comes to um, a ritual like it, it, Christmas when December hits, we put the Christmas puzzle out and it's a thousand pieces and we just know that's what we got to do a different Christmas pr- puzzle every year. That's a ritual. Being on a screen is not, it's just sort of, you know, if it's not toxic, then it's just sort of neutral. It's just like, okay, um, I'm wasting time, you know? So, but gosh, our time is flying by here. So we've gone through some of these benefits. I want to get from your perspective, just from the families that you work with, what are some things that, you know, that parents, I guess not what are they struggling with, but why do you think as a culture, me included, you know, why do we, and why do we struggle with not being able to say no to some things that we think, you know, really aren't the best thing for our kids? Is it because we just aren't educated? I mean, why do, why do you think parents struggle with this issue? Why do they give in? I, I mean, I think it's a couple things. I think one biggie is role confusion. So I think we don't culturally, I think this is really happening culturally in this country, especially, that we don't want to see ourselves as, we don't want to parent Yes. You know, it's like we don't, you know, we kind of want to be our kid's friend. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure they're having fun. We want them to be entertained. And I think we're really afraid, like we don't see that we will get their respect and we will have other benefits. We may not be their closest friend. Mm -hmm. We may not be the first person they call when they're 35 years old, when they have a problem. Maybe we will. Hopefully we will. I feel like what we really, what our role really is, is their protectors. It's our job to protect their childhood, to yeah. set limits, to enforce the limits. We, mm-hmm. you know, we've been here longer. We know right. more. We're wise. You know, we're wiser. We're Go ahead wise. and say it. We're wiser. We know. <laughs> <laughs> we're wiser. We know more. We've learned from our own childhoods. You know, it's like it. it is our role to set boundaries and enforce them. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be awful. No. You know, it's like it just but I think kids need it. I mean, it's the way the dog needs a fence. Yes. It's like they need they need to know what they're bouncing against. Absolutely. And it makes them feel so secure. And when they don't have a fence, you know, if kids are out on a playground and there's no fence around the playground, they'll huddle in the middle of a corner somewhere, they won't use the full playground because they there's cars, right? They're not protected with a fence. And that's how we have to look at it. I think you can can kind of sum it up with the the two the P word, the protector and the potential. We are really here to open doors and guide and structure sometime and direct. And I think that our culture is handing over the keys to the car, you know, uh, way too early. Um, not, not the physical car, but the, we're handing over our responsibility too early to our kids. We're letting them decide everything. You know, what do you, what, what do you want to do? What sports even do you want to do? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do for a club? What do you, you know, what do you want to play video games all day? Okay. then play video games all day. I mean, I was very guilty of this. Um, it's just easier to do. I didn't think I was doing the wrong thing. I I don't even, like I said, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to know something else. <laughs> but I, I do think that the role confusion is probably the biggest reason why parents struggle. And when you can get really confident in your role as a coach, we love that analogy at Screen Strong because who doesn't want to be a good coach or have a good coach? And you can think back in your high school years, you probably had 
some really, really good influences by a good coach. And I think that coaching analogy works really well because, you know, coaches are firm, they have discipline, but they're very loving. And that's the type of parent that works best in this culture where there's so many um, potholes, I think, that we need to detour around. So that's a great answer for that, that role confusion. So let's um, sort of wrap up with discussing the importance of um, intuition. I, I love talking about the gut feeling. <laughs> and I just want to hear from your perspective, what role intuition has played in your life? And then also just what do you, what do you say to parents to, you know, that are really doubting their intuitive senses that they have? Well, I think it's first important to understand what we mean by intuition. So I, I work with a mentor who calls intuition the feminine science. And I love that. You know, it's like, I love data. I love statistics. I love studies. I love all that stuff. My brain doesn't hold the statistics that well, (laughs) but I love reading about them. You know, I love all the science that we have now about what screens do to kids. You know, it's just, there's so much now, but we also have this sixth sense. Yes. You know, it's like you, your intuition is that voice that you hear when, you know, if you're a mom and you see another another baby crying who's not yours. You have an intuitive sense of like, I want to help in some way. <laughs> I want to help the baby. I want to help the mom. You know, <laughs> I think I, I love studies. I don't need a study to tell me when I see a table of four high school boys at a restaurant, all of whose heads are down looking at their phones. That's not okay. I don't need a statistic to tell me that. I can look at that. And my intuitive sense is dread. Yeah. Like, what has happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you're you're right. You you've got this. It's I, I like to call it common sense sometime too. You know, yeah. Some, sometime totally. it is just common sense or horse sense or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes you just can't always perfectly explain it in a logical linear fashion, but you just know. It's just when you know, you know. You just know. And I think we know. We know that we don't that we shouldn't be putting our kids in front of screens for hours and hours a day. I mean, if you look at a child who's zoned out in front of a screen, I think our intuitive sense, our common sense tells us that's not right. That's not what kids do. That's not, they're, they're little animals and they're not behaving like animals. You know, they're, they're supposed to behave like dirty animals out in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting because I did not trust my intuition in my early days as much. And I knew something was up. I knew something was wrong. But my culture around me, you know, I, I, I was I was trying to get answers and everyone was just sort of confirming all of our own biases around, well, they're learning something on a screen. Well, they won't have any friends on a screen. Well, you're overprotecting if you, you know, take it away. And and all along, intuitively, I knew, I knew there was something wrong. I, I just couldn't put my finger on exactly how to fix it and how to solve it. And that's, of course, why Screen Strong got started and why everything that, that we're, we're doing is um, based off of what I wish I had known and what I wish I had had presented to me way back when I was in the stage when maybe I didn't have the knowledge, didn't have maybe the education, even though I was a nurse and I went through a lot of training in that department, but I, I didn't trust my intuition. And we just want to give everybody out there, if you're a mom or a dad, if you just have a gut feeling that there's just something wrong um, with the screen activities in your kid's life, act on it. You are the only one that can do anything about it. I, I just listened. It reminds me of, um, I just listened to an FBI agent recently talk about predators and sextortion. And one thing he said just really pierced me. He said, he was so passionate about this. And he said, mom, don't listen to the guy in the lazy boy chair. If he's telling you everything's okay and you think it's not okay. (laughs) He said, because you know, and he, and he he was a man and he said, listen, let me just tell you the mom's always right with this intuition thing. (laughs) He said, if she thinks there's a problem, then there's a problem. 
you right. know, tell the guy right. in the lazy boy chair just to, you know, hang on and um, anyway, deal with the problem. It, it was really interesting when he said that and we can't always explain it, you know, and then there's the opposite, you know, Mary, there's the opposite when I think parents uh, aren't tuned in at all to their intuition and maybe they've, they've left that, that gate and now they think their kids are immune to everything. Um, it's like a blind spot that we have. It's also long term, you know, just the long-term thinking versus short-term thinking thing. It's like, it's like, I think we aren't in practice as a culture of thinking really long-term about things. It's like we, right. and, and screens are such a problem in contributing to that. It's like, we just want now, 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 what we want, what, when we want it. We don't want to wait for anything. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want our kids to be bored. It's like this kind of speedy culture. And it's like, really, we need to slow down, slow the technology down, slow it down and really think long-term. What do I really want for my child? Yeah, you have to begin with the end in mind. That, right. That's, it's a very important concept right now when your kids are little to decide right now, or maybe they're not even born yet, you decide what do you want their childhood to look like? What do you want them to, you know, remember? What do you want them to be when they're, they're teenagers? Not that you're trying to force them and completely mold them and anything. What you can only control what you can control, which is your lifestyle and your home environment and the type of entertainment that you have and the type of content they're going to be exposed to. You can certainly control all those things. And we almost have to make that decision ahead of time. Because when you get in the thick of it, it's it's confusing. It can get hard. You're in the the battle. You know, it's, it's really tough. But when you make these decisions ahead of time and you begin with the end in mind, it's so much easier. And totally. what you started off with talking about today was how much easier this lifestyle is. And I have to agree with you. It seems initially so hard to people that are not accustomed to a low tech sort of home, but the payoff, like you said, you either pay now or you pay later, but the pay now part is pretty quick because very, very quickly your kids learn to start filling their own downtime and reading and playing music and playing outside and having friends and, all these things, you know, happen. It, it's not that hard. It's like, I want to just look around like, is, is this for real? Like, am I really doing this? Like, this is working so well. Like, I'm I know. afraid <laughs> um, something's going to bust and maybe I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be, you know, in the matrix or something. But it's so much fun. That's not to say that there isn't, you know, there's, you know, arguably, you know, we have maybe more, more fights among the siblings because they're interacting more. That's not a bad thing. We want right. them to practice. We want them to practice and argue each with each other and learn how, you know, not all the time, but we want, that's what childhood is. It's, you know, it's really good practice. That's not all. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah, they're, they're building relationships with their siblings and what a wonderful gift. There's no better gift for um, kids when they're that age. And if, if you've listened or if, if, um, our listeners out there listen to the Andrew and Evan podcast. They talk about growing up with a gamer and how they didn't know their older brother and what, what a sad story that is. And that could have been avoided. And so I, I love that your, your kids are playing together and fighting together and making up together and all that, you know, this is all part of being a family real quick. I have a question. How do you manage your screen time? Obviously you have a computer, you You have work to do. You're writing a book. Is is this something you do at night after they go to bed? How how do you manage that? Or is it just not a big deal? Um, Well, well, so part of that comes into that role confusion thing, which is that I really do see like my partner and I have computers, we have smartphones and they're not for kids, you know? So it's, I don't have a problem with what, you know, with what kids might call that being unfair. That's, That's right. They can, they can think yeah. that. That's um, right. We do have our screens in our office spaces. Uh, we generally keep our phones in a drawer unless we need them. So it's not, you know, it's not, we don't have them openly in the house very much. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of when, you know, when I do that stuff, I do it when they're at school. I do it when right. they're occupied. 
Right. And I'm not afraid to let them occupy themselves. Right. Right. Oh, you just set really good boundaries. So yeah. we're not talking today about not having any screens in your, your house. Totally. We're talking about the use of screens, you know, for kids, obviously in the house and not having that be the go-to activity. We have really, really in, enjoyed this time. It has just flown by. We, um, I just want to thank you so much, but before we end, I always like to ask people just what are, what is your final kind of words of encouragement for parents who are maybe struggling? Maybe they do have little kids and they're, they're wanting to follow this idea or maybe their kids, you know, is it too late? They're, they're 15 maybe. And is it too late to pull back on the screen activities? What are, what are just some encouragements that you can offer to parents? Mm. Oh, it's never, never too late. Never, never too late to parent. Um, I also think, you know, it's like, don't be afraid of, of spaciousness. We don't need to fill every moment on the contrary. So I think just embracing like, you know, we don't have to plan every moment of the day. We don't have to fill every moment of the day. We can trust ourselves and our kids to just kind of naturally figure out what their passions are from that space. And the other thing I would say is try it for a day. Shut your screens down for one day and see what you notice. Just see what you notice. The other thing I would recommend is the seven-day challenge that you're doing with Screen Strong. It's a great, just, you know, it's one week. One week. Yeah. Just notice. What do you notice about your family in one week when you take the challenge? And yours is so cool because you're doing it in community. Because you need community. It's very hard to do this alone. Do you have people around you that also agree and and are like-minded with you in this area? I have some. Yeah. We recently relocated to Nashville, so I'm building community once again. <laughs> oh, that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right. You do need that community. And on our Facebook group, we have a Screen Strong Challenge um, a challenge, the seven day challenge. And then we have the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. And you can jump in there and say, Hey, I'm getting started with my challenge. I have a 12 year old, give me some ideas and parents will, will help you. It is really important to have local support too. So I encourage you, Mary, of course, everything with you're, you're doing with your kids, you're right on, you're spot on, you're doing it the right way. Um, not just an opinion-based parenting style, but it is actually very grounded in research and science. So um, I'm sure you know that. Um, but, you know, congratulations for your ability to this point, because with the 10-year-old, you're right there on the cusp of lots of begging, right? It's going to start. Or maybe it won't start. You know, you haven't, it's never been your the thing in your family. And You'll certainly have the answers, but your kids will will come home and say, well, so-and-so, you know, has a smartphone and so-and-so has a video game. And I think it's going to be much easier for you to manage that. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will. And congratulations on your, your book that you're working on, Supercharged 50 Reasons to Raise Kids Screen-Free from Birth to Age 7. That sounds fabulous. Everything thank about you. that is interesting. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming. You are very inspirational. I'm feeling so glad to know you and I wish I had taken that pathway with, with my oldest, but you know, we kind of have a do over with the younger kids. Most people don't. So I will tell you that childhood is a one-time thing. You don't get to do it over. So better to err on more of a, um, a conservative side, I guess, a safer side with, with screens when it comes to kids. And, you know, we're not saying no forever. We're saying hit that pause button until they can get out in the backyard and figure out what to do with that rope <laughs> and read all those books. Mary, thank you so much for your inspiration today. Well, thank you so much. I've had so much fun talking to you and I just love the work you're doing with Screen Strong, and I'm so happy to be getting more involved with what you're doing. Yeah, and I can't wait. Um, you have to look at our ambassador <laughs> program, and we're going to yeah. get you looped in here. So, 
go take those screen pacifiers away, um, everyone, <laughs> and think of them as a pacifier because they are. They're certainly not use our kids are not using screens as a tool like we are. But yes, Mary, thanks so much. And I hope that you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and learn more about the challenge, the Screen Strong Challenge that we talked about today. And make sure you join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you will find support from other parents just like you. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.